0: This is an OHS.com.au production. Welcome to episode 48 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined with Yasser Zaki from Tender Loving Care. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Hi, Brendan.
0: Now, you've got a really interesting approach uh, to your, it's an NDIS business, is that right? Correct. Tell us about what you're doing differently, um, I guess, in comparison to other NDIS providers in the market.
1: So I'm going to have to give you a bit of a background story very quickly. If
0: yeah, a- please.
1: So, so um, as, a, as a lot of people know, the NDIS is a, is a scheme where um, it's sort of decided by the government on the parameters of where we can provide services. And a lot of the providers um, rightly so doing that. Um, different approaches, different programs, but essentially it's similar um, sort of del- service delivery. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And when we, we had a meeting, I wanted to put a lot of effort into um, a point of difference, and we had to put a lot of thinking process about that. How can we be different in an environment that is pretty much designed um, by parameters that the government has set for us? So we had to put a lot of effort into it. So we came up with a couple of initiatives and and it all triggered from um, people with disability need to contribute back to the community, need to contribute back to the economy and have opportunities equal um, opportunities like yourself and myself. And employment was one of the ones that ticked a lot of boxes for us. Um, You know, we wanted to get people with disability to work. We know they struggle to find jobs, we know that they struggle to get equal pay, um, and we know that um, th- that affects them with everything else, food, um, accommodation, that kind of stuff. So employment is important. So we, um, we, we did this initiative where we established a, a brand called Mayfoods, and it's a, an employment pathway. So we get a person with disability that would like to do administration work, for example. So we put them into a skills development program intensive, teach them what the job entails. And once the person is actually ready to take the job, we offer them an open employment at award rate payments. Now this initiative is actually funded by the government. So it's self-sustainable business designed to generate enough revenue to pay wages for people with disabilities. The exciting part in that is it is targeting 70% of its employees to be people with disabilities, which is a very high number. But we are at that level at the moment, and it's going really well.
0: Wow. So so in that business, how many people have you got employed at the moment? So as, as
1: we're currently speaking, we have 10 people with disability employed. Yep. And actually two with a disability. We're about to launch in Melbourne, which is going for all the lockdowns and the pandemic slows yep. down everyone a little bit. Um, so that's coming into play. We've been working on that project for two years, Brendan, so... It wasn't an easy setup. We had to put a lot of effort and time into it, but we made it happen in the end, which is fantastic.
0: And I'm I'm, I'm thinking that the government must be loving this innovative approach to... Yeah, it's like a spin on NDIS, isn't it? It's like not only yes. are you providing that service, but you're also providing uh, employment pathways.
1: Absolutely. It's, we, we had a lot of government support in that space, and, and reality speaking is... It is unfunded by the government, so there's no pressure on the government as such. It it allows people's ability to give back to the economy, pay tax, contribute, be able to um, spend like you and I would spend rather than being a little bit tight on on pension only.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, what what is the background of the NDIs and like how long has the scheme been running for? And as I understand, it was like. You know, really big providers like, I don't know, Salvation, Australia, uh, Salvation Army and Mission Australia, those kind of providers, that was the history of it? Was that, it wasn't NDIS, it was called something else then?
1: So before the NDIS, it was a state based funding. So we were the block funding. So the, the state governments will um, pay organizations only for the non for profit sector and to, to run a certain number of um, hours at certain complexity, things like that. Then the federal government um, came with the initiative of the NDIS and, and all the states um, jumped on board. Um, and it changed for, from being state government block funding-based, which is just a lump sum of money goes to organisations, and they operate within that, um, to an individualised funding to people with disability, and then they can choose any provider they want to work with. Um, that initiative with the federal government started as trial sites in, in the Hunter Valley uh, in 2013, it would take. And then the rollout started in 2016. Um, as of this year, the whole country is um, under the NDIS now. So they rolled out the whole country. It was in phases. So Perth, from memory, or, or Western Australia, was the last um, to join the scheme. Um, but Nissan was, was the first.
0: Um, and so how hard is it for, I guess, for individuals now to choose a provider? Because from what you're describing in the past, though, basically there was X amount of providers and the big providers just targeted the individuals. Now it's, is it flipped around? Is that?
1: Yes. So, so it's a consumer driven market now. And, yep. and, that's, and that concept, I believe from my personal experience, I saw a lot of um, Confusion in the market, right? Because you come from an angle of not for profit, secured income. You just had the money regardless if people were there or not. Yeah. Um, to turning it around and became a consumer driven market where the participant, if they're they're unhappy with you now, will pack and walk away, and and no no problems. And you would lose the funding. The difference between the previous model to now is the previous model, if the participant or the client walked away, yeah, yeah. it doesn't affect your funding. Currently, it does. that drove two things, competition, and healthy competition is always a good thing because it keeps the value down. So from a government point of view, they like that. But it also improves the quality because if you don't get creative, if you don't have a point of difference, if you don't put a lot of effort in in that, you you get lost in the mix. Hmm. Um, But it also generated a bit of struggles for people with disability because in the past, they didn't have to overthink it. Now they do. Now they compare quite a lot. It has its positives, it has its negatives. It's not always the greatest thing, but it, the choice and control for the person that is receiving services is the best thing to do. And I support that 100%. It, people need to make a choice like you and I what you, you want to dress, what service you want to get, what school you want to go to, all, all the the choices that we make, people with disabilities have equal rights.
0: So, so I'm thinking that there's a lot. Of, there potentially is a lot of family members that need to um, get around that person with a disability to help make the decision. Or is it is it's like those influencers and it, stakeholders?
1: It, it depends. Yes. So, so the government has what we call a local area coordinator who sometimes would step in and help. It depends on how the plan is funded. There's also a position called support coordinators, which if they are funded to do the service, they can do a lot of the planning with the person and, and linking to services. So those are there to help. Family members as well. But also some people with stability are more than capable to do that as equally. Yeah. But there are a few that sit right in the middle. They don't have a lot of family support. They're not um, they're not comfortable enough to look for services. And they struggle a little bit. Um, and that's why a lot of organizations, including ourselves, we, we do free advice. We come in and have a chat, no obligation, so they don't have to sign up and join our service. Mm-hmm. The reason that is is because of that gap. Yeah. Um, there's a huge gap in that space. But information sessions are the just this initiative. I mean, if we think about it, if, if someone with a psychosocial disability, for example, which is space that we work in, um, they're not going to go to information sessions. Very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right, because they don't like mixing with people. It's, that That is the disability, right? The mm-hmm. They don't like the change, they don't like different people to access and enter and give them advice about their lives. So you have to have different approaches for those and, and different types of information. Also found people from refugees' community, and um, they struggled because English was not really... Um, they, they, they don't speak English very well. Um, and then the NDIS is for people that speak English is quite confusing. So we struggled a lot with, with that. So we've done some programs for refugees, people with um, different backgrounds, things like that.
0: There was yeah. some else,
1: but it, it's getting better by the minute, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And and so how did TLC get involved? Like how? what was your background before? Like how long has TLC been in operation and what were you doing before that that led you into the NDIS?
1: So, um, I personally worked in the security sector for more than 12 years. I worked worked in the government Mm -hmm. for a period of time. I worked in the private sector. Um, I did a lot of senior management, the project based stuff where um, part of it was rolling out to the NDIS, um, things like that. So, um, pretty much heavily involved in the before NDIS and after, very heavily involved. Um, I've done a lot of education in the disability sector. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever stopped except for this year at the moment. Yep. Um, 1011K started in 2016, and it was with the change of um, the, from the block funding to the API asset, which opened up the opportunity for businesses to join in and, and improve the quality of service delivery. It created competition in the past that didn't exist. Mm. Did a good job or a bad job is still it. At the yeah. moment, Okay, so the case. Everyone has to step up their game.
0: So it sounds like you're really in a unique position because you've seen it from different, you've seen it from the government lens, you've seen it from an educator's lens, um, and now you're seeing it, I guess, from running a, a business lens.
1: Yes, absolutely. I was, But I was fortunate with a lot of things, to be honest, and, and I must say the NDIS came as a blessing for me and my career. Um, I support the NDIS for a lot of reasons, I was heavily involved early on um, with the NDIS and it did change people's lives, I've seen it firsthand, but I come, I, I travelled to Australia, a bit of history about me, I travelled to Australia as a computer engineer, so I've got a computer background, then I had a personal experience with my son and I just ended up studying social work and I um, You know, went really heavy into the education side. Did my CS3 for diploma case management and disability. I did master's PhD in social work. Got really heavy into the social work because I wanted to make a difference from my personal experience.
0: It's, it it sounds easy when you say it that fast. Yes, sir. (laughs) Took me
1: 10 years to get I
0: I bet that's a lot of study. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: was, it was heavy and, and it was a struggle because I've never, um, like, I was I was good at education, but I was never very... Like, I wanted to finish uni and get out of the world and work. because It wasn't, yep. like, something I wanted to continuously do, to be honest. Yep. But I, I saw a need and I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to change people's lives. And to do that through education with a personal experience, with knowledge and care factor, combining that together, you, you become a lot more powerful into, into achieving what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So, and, and putting that together is what helped me. But I've always felt in the old system, that I was very underutilized, in all honesty, because I had a level of knowledge, I had a level of experience that um, allowed me to do a lot more than being in a block funding, not-for-profit approach, nothing wrong with that, but to go into that business mentality, consumer-driven market, understanding about investment, return of investment, how can you improve and maximize service delivery through business mentality? So customer service approach, you know, dealing with complaints well, feedback, driving um, work culture in a positive manner to deliver the best for people. This mentality was a, a huge shift, and, and I was lucky enough that I have had the background into, um, into a lot of that business aspect. And my computer's um, degree, I've never used it until I moved to the loving use uh, yeah. computers, yes, Excel, but I'm talking about the level of networking, understanding digitalization, um, going people. We're now running a project to do artificial intelligence in our processes, so everything becomes very accurate to the dot, very carefully yeah. with very minimal human error. So th- this is where I'm utilizing a lot of my skills in that space to service people with disability at its highest level. Do
0: you, do you, do you ever sort of reflect on? Um, I know I do this myself where you go you have this sort of life path and you go if that hadn't have happened then the next step couldn't have happened and you kind of over time you look back and go god I'm so I feel so blessed that all these things not always good things but um, they all sort of develop you don't don't they
1: completely I I look at back back on my life and I think I never thought I'd be sitting in this chair I talking to you. Was, you know, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm a planner. I yep. plan five years ahead of my life always. Yep. I sit down, I do my SWOT analysis, and I build the plan and I stick to the plan. Yep. but things come in and change and change your heart. Like in the beginning, I was very entrepreneurial. I wanted to go into the .IT world, build the business. I was working heavily in towards that. And then a personal experience came to me, and it changed that concept. I started thinking. Well, all, all this stuff is great, but if you're not doing social impact and if you're not impacting positively on the community and have a component in that, even through investments, yeah, I mean, impact investment is a huge thing at the moment because it's good to, yes, run a business, yes, make profits, yes, have that mentality, but at the same time, give back to the community, do good things, help people, change people's lives. And I'm sitting in a position that allows me to do that So I'm very proud of it. And it was because of the personal experience that shifted my whole direction to go and study from scratch just to be able to deliver the best.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So can you give us a feel for, you know, the amount of people that you are impacting with TLC and what, you know, what your staff size is or the size of the business?
1: Absolutely. So in total, we have almost 700 staff. 700? Whoa, (laughs) that's a lot. That's a lot of staff. Um, we have close to 500 participants um, mm-hmm. to operate across Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and Dubai. Which Dubai is one of the initiatives that we did part of our differentiation strategy. And um, how can we contribute back to the Australian economy through highlighting the the, the excellence of the service delivery that Australia has, very high standard, um, and at the same time generate revenues that can come back to Australia and help the economy. So that was that initiative.
0: So that 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 staff to client ratio, is that fairly typical amongst NDIS providers? Or are you is TLC doing something extra to it, give is, a better-
1: it is it is it is fairly typical. So so we, we're driven by what the consumer wants, which is our participants, are. So they decide if they want one-to-one ratio or more. There was a model in the beginning of the NDIS where people that had higher ratios, so for example, one to three. Was financially more viable than, than having the one to one support for many different reasons. This is at the moment changed mm-hmm. um, because of changes in, in the way that pricing works with the NDIS. But but it's it really comes from budgets. So that every participant, it's not an unlimited budget. So once the person gets funding, it is a budgeted funding. And we have to work with that. And then we can determine. The ratios. If you do lower ratios, the plan lasts longer. You can get more hours. That's, that's just how it works. But sometimes it's risky. You can't do.
0: So, so the participants get a an annual budget. Do they? Is that is that how it works?
1: Um, it used to be annual. Now they are moving towards two and three year plans. Oh so, right. Yeah. it is a time limit and it gets reviewed.
0: So, I mean that that's the thing. If you even if you've got say a two or three year plan, you you need a provider that is responsible because Otherwise, you could burn all that, you know, in a shorter amount of time, and and then you're left without any service.
1: Correct. It happens. I've seen it happening. I've had people. I mean, we have we have a, a project that is completely separate from everything we do, which is it's a benevolent support for people that are struggling. So we get someone coming in a very a struggling family. They need the support, and the NDIS has a pathway where you can review the plan. Right. So if you're we had a change in circumstances, for example, and you needed more support to utilise the funding a bit more than you really um, planned for. Because in three years or three years or even one year, things change. Um, you can actually apply for a review. If you have the right evidences to back it up, then the AIS will refund you again and, and renew the plan. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of managing that properly. But I've had people walk through the door We've utilized our funding. We had a change circumstances, and no one really guided us or helped us to do it. So we step in actually and provide care for them and we put them through that benevolent support. Yeah. So until the funding kicks in, there's no back payment. We don't get back paid from the NDIS, So that becomes part of that budget. And in our budgeting, we allow for um, an amount of money that we put aside for those kind of things because they have to pay.
0: I mean, that that creates a lot of goodwill, I would imagine, in the well, community. Like,
1: 100%. You can't. Look, I know that, that uh, you know, some people are purely doing it as business and, and I don't particularly have any problem with that. Um, but we try and keep the business component running. We still have to be sustainable. We still have to be um, at, at the positive side of things. But I strongly believe that you still have to have a caring component yeah. to be able to do the best. And yeah. and, very, and I've had a personal experience. So I know what it feels when you don't get the right Um support even as a family so we we really look at it from that angle i come from the old school where it wasn't particularly very strong business run environment i still hold some of those values in my heart Mm. um, and try and give back because it's just mixing it you have to give the right balance you can't run it purely business in my personal opinion because then people's care and well-being become second and, and that's not really the right thing to do in our space we work with vulnerable people um, so keeping the right balance and putting people at the core front of everything you do. Let me tell you, we grew and succeeded, um, and I believe that one of the biggest contributors to that was that we always put people first, hmm. put the money second, not the other way around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just thinking, and conversely, you can't run it purely as a, a charity and not be commercial because then you don't have a business long-term to to support all those people.
1: Correct. And, and we have some pressures, Like there's a lot of changes that happen in the world of NDIS very often. Mm. So to be able to change and adjust is very costly. If we want to go into state-of-the-art um, systems that actually support the possibility to get better funding, to report better to the NDIS, to be compliant, to secure the funding and if it's utilized the right way, is amazing. Now, we sometimes get an end user or participant that might not particularly see the value in that. And we have to keep that balance. So it's maintaining high quality while a um, business running in the back end and then and ha- keeping a, a tight corporate services and at the same time not affecting the service delivery. And what I've done with that is I completely separated the two. So the care team don't work with... Are we losing money, making money? No. We work purely about what the person needs and how can we meet that need within the mm-hmm. parameters that we have. And that's what the heavy language they use and that's everything they stand for. Then there's the corporate service side, which is say finance operations and all that, They now make sure that we are sustainable while we're delivering the good service.
0: What's the split, um, say, with you know, those, that operation side percentage-wise versus the carer side?
1: Look, um, overhead costs in general, um, yep. at the moment with, with the vision that we have, it's running at a quite high. So we are under a bit of pressure as an organisation because we're trying to deliver the best. We're yep. investing into quality quite a lot. Yeah. We rotate a, a lot of our revenue back to the organisation
0: to yep. deliver that. Um, we, so we you're, have... you're growing, right? Is that is that mean that you're we are,
1: correct. Yeah. Yeah. And to do the growth in a, in a smart way. So I've seen organizations that they would grow, 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 grow. and then they start collapsing. They, they, they just, the quality gets affected. So for us, we have to do steady growth and, and a very smart way. We're educated people. You know, we, we monitor and watch and keep a close eye on everything we do. So nothing is random. Nothing is out of nowhere. Everything's planned. And we always have a contingency plan, you know. COVID nineteen, no one expected it, but we had a contingency plan for diseases, not particularly COVID, but we had a plan in place that if if a disease comes in, a natural disaster comes in, what would TLC do? And we triggered that plan. And in the in the pandemic, we grew because we had very strict plan it was already in place prior to the COVID that we triggered. So that set us ahead. So a lot of planning, a lot of educated planning is very important. And my team are, are very highly qualified. We, we're very
0: picky. Our- mm. So I was interested in, like, with a lot of these government schemes, you mentioned compliance and reporting become increasingly important from the government point of view. What sort of team size do you need for that aspect of the business?
1: For us, yeah. as, as Tim k our we call it quality um, and safeguards department, which essentially compliance. is just more positive language. Yeah, um, we have four people doing um, purely quality. Yeah, um, and that's, that's quite a high number. So we go we go very heavy on compliance. Yeah, um, and then all the managers, the, the senior managers, these sit on an um, executive committee. That compliance is the first topic every time we meet. So, risk management, compliance, um, are always have an incident reports uh, and complaints. Those four topics are every um, meeting's topics top four. Yep. And then after that, we can talk about general business.
0: Yeah. So, our,
1: yes.
0: I, I was going to ask you, you mentioned Jubai um, earlier. Tell us about that because I, I wouldn't have thought that there's any. Well, there wouldn't be surely there can't be too many Australian providers that have uh starting to export this service. What What was that all about?
1: So, there is none. <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> so, we are the only Australian provider in that space. There's other Australian businesses there. Um, and from, from my research, I think we're the only international um, Australian provider uh, in our space as well. I haven't I looked very heavily to try and see what's out mm. there to try and connect and collaborate, but I couldn't find anyone. It is a very um, unique space to go into because right? the risks are very high, unpredictable, and um, we worked very hard on that project to be honest. But it was, and I, I got asked that question by the way all the time: Why do buy not not Perth? Get <laughs> asked yeah. that. But going to Perth doesn't make us different. Let's, let's face it there's a lot of providers that are in south wales victoria queensland and perth yet none of them are in dubai yes so meeting two countries standards all it does is it improves your quality because you're not only meeting the trans standards you're actually meeting a whole lot of different quality framework are yep. really, very powerful too by the way they're very strict there yeah there's some struggles with the language for example um they don't call people with disability as people with disability. The language they use is people with determination,
0: which I kind of like that
1: terminology. Yeah, that,
0: that's a nice that's a nice way of phrasing it.
1: Absolutely. So we had to do adjustments to some of our policies, procedures, the language, the training, because all the training comes from Australia. So you know putting that in place was a bit of a struggle. It's just to learn the language and the way we do things. Um, but it set us apart. We we mm. completely ahead in our game because of our exposure, you know, and that, that made, made a huge difference. Out.
0: That's awesome. Well, yeah, so congratulations on your success. That's amazing to um, grow, a, you know, a, an organisation to that size and be making such a social impact. If people want to find out more about uh, Tender Loving Care, what's your website?
1: It's tenderlovingcare.com.au. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> that's, uh, that was the plan, I guess. Yeah. It, it easy. Um, and they can call us as well. Um, if you're happy for me to share the number, I'm happy to
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%. It. Um, it's 1300 three
1: hundred double 8885.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today, yes sir. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Brendan. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.